Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would shine upon us the light of your truth through the preaching of your holy word. Prepare our hearts to receive this word with faith and to respond with obedience, bearing good fruit for your glory. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you please open your Bibles to our sermon text, Colossians chapter 1, looking at verses 9 through 14 today. You can find this in your pew Bibles on page 983. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Do you ever have trouble knowing how to pray for yourself or how to pray for others? And there are some things that are easy and obvious. We all pray easily enough for physical needs, for physical sickness, but how should we pray for our spiritual needs? Here in the passage before us, Paul gives us a wonderful example of how to pray for spiritual growth in the Christian life. When he considered this church in Colossae, this is what he prayed for most of all. That's not to say that we shouldn't pray for our physical needs. The Lord taught us to pray for our daily bread, and we are to ask him for whatever we need, whatever is on our heart. But it's neither is spiritual growth optional. As we look at what Paul prays for this morning, we'll see that this must be our top priority, even as it is the chief thing that Paul prays for the church in Colossae. Last week we saw, as Paul wrote about his constant thanksgiving for this church, how he gave thanks for the gospel bearing fruit and increasing in their midst, just as it was in the whole world. How he prayed and gave thanks for the fruit of faith, hope, and love, being a testimony to the great work that God was doing among them. And now after giving thanks, he shifts and he prays for them, specifically that they would grow in knowledge of his will, so that they might walk in a way that pleases the Lord their God, giving thanks for his great salvation. So we'll work our way through this prayer this morning, learning from his example that we too might pray for spiritual growth. So first, this morning, pray to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
Just as Paul had been constantly giving thanks since he had heard about the faith of the Colossians, so here he speaks of how he had not ceased to pray for them. Specifically, praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now this filling is what we would call a divine passive. That is, he's asking that God himself would be the one to fill them with the knowledge of God's own will. And since Paul is also saying that this is spiritual wisdom and understanding that they need, this must come through the working of God's Holy Spirit. Let's consider, what does Paul mean by the will of God here? He's not talking about some sort of special direction from God on how to make a particular decision like, where do I go to college? Which job do I pursue? Who do I marry? But rather, he's talking about the general sense of God's revealed will for all people. The revealed will that he's given us in the scriptures, in his holy law. In his law, God says, this is what I want you to do, what I want all of you to do, what I don't want you to do as well. Now, at the same time, Paul says that this goes along with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so he's saying you need more than just knowledge here. You need wisdom of how to apply God's revealed will to the specific situations in your life. And so it's one thing to know the words of the Ten Commandments. Anyone can memorize the Ten Commandments in a relatively short period of time. You might be able to memorize them in a single day. But it's another thing to grow in the spiritual wisdom of how to apply the Ten Commandments to all the nuances of a life well lived in the sight of God. This requires spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that's why God reveals his will in Scripture in far more than just a few lists of do's and don'ts. There are histories, there is prophecy, there is poetry, there are books filled with wisdom. And in all of this, we need the Spirit of God to help us to understand it. And Paul also may be alluding to a key prophecy concerning our Lord from Isaiah 11, 1-2. Now notice the similarities in the language. As Isaiah prophesies, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, Jesus was filled with his spirit beyond measure. But Paul's prayer for the Colossians, and let this be your prayer as well, is to be filled with the spirit to grow in the knowledge of the Lord and of his will to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. As you pray this prayer... Just because you pray that the Lord would fill you with knowledge and wisdom and understanding, just because you ask him to do this, it doesn't mean you then passively wait for this knowledge to just poof, appear in your head. You then need to read your Bible. You need to listen to the word preached, sit under the proclamation of the word. And this is the same thing we do every time we come to a sermon. We ask for the Lord to help us, to teach us, to fill us with knowledge, But then we must diligently apply ourselves as we listen to the word proclaimed, if we are to grow. Then as the Lord answers this prayer, we don't grow in knowledge simply to fill our heads with pretty ideas. Paul immediately says, what is the point of this knowledge? In verse 10, that's our second point this morning. What is the point? Pray that you may walk to please the Lord. Verse 10. 
so as in order that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The point of knowing God's will is so that you might obey his will. This knowledge must translate into action. It must be lived out in our daily behavior. But here, instead of speaking in terms that we might think of obedience, Paul here uses a different biblical metaphor, the biblical metaphor of walking. Your walk refers to your way of life. It refers to, uh, and this is, it, it uses this, this metaphor of walking as a way of life because it helps you to see that there are different roads, there are different pathways, and they lead in different directions, different destinations. As I read earlier, this passage from Proverbs 2, and it contrasts these different pathways. It contrasts between the paths of righteousness and the way of darkness, the paths of life and the paths to the departed. But here Paul speaks of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, in a way pleasing to him. Now here, in speaking of the Lord, he's referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is saying, because he is our Savior and our Lord, our Master and our King, and we are his humble servants, we owe our lives and everything we are to him. And now we want to be worthy of so great a Savior to please him with our lives. Now, it's not that we could ever repay him for what he has done for us on the cross when he laid down his life for us as he gave everything for us. Just as we could never have saved ourselves, so he has given us a gift so costly we could never pay him back. But what we can do is out of gratitude for so great a salvation, it seeks to do what pleases him. And as God answers the first part of this prayer, growing us an understanding of what is pleasing to him, what he desires us to do, is then we can do the second part, actually walking in a way that is pleasing to him. But then we need to ask, well, how do we do this? What does this look like? What is the life that's pleasing to him? And then Paul, of course, gives us the very answer to that. He describes this walk that's pleasing to the Lord with four action verbs in the rest of, in the next few verses. He says it's bearing fruit, it's growing in the knowledge of the Lord, it's being strengthened by his power and giving thanks. So let's look at these four action verbs. First, it's bearing fruit in every good work. Now, as Paul here speaks of bearing fruit, he's echoing the language we saw just last time in verse 6. There he gave thanks for the way the gospel was already bearing fruit and increasing in the lives of the Colossians, just as it was in the whole world. But now he's praying for a specific way that it would bear fruit in their lives. Specifically, he prays for bearing fruit in every good work, in all kinds of good deeds, works of service, of generosity, of mercy, of help, of encouragement. Just think of any way that you could be of help to another person, and that is included under this heading. And we saw last time, as Jesus said, just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. And this means serving others, meeting their needs any way that you can be a blessing to another. Have you seen how this is flowing out of knowing God's will, which God reveals his will in the scriptures? So it's no surprise that 
Perhaps the best known passage in the whole Bible on the nature of Scripture says this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And so God's word, it equips you for this. For every good work, it equips you and it makes you to bear good fruit. A life pleasing to your Lord. So life pleasing to the Lord means first, bearing fruit in every good work. Second, it means increasing, growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Now think about this. This is a very interesting dynamic here because Paul started out by saying, pray for, he started praying for the knowledge of God's will. This leads to this life pleasing to him. It includes bearing good fruit in good works. And this then leads to growing in the knowledge of God. Do you see that there's a cycle here? It begins with knowledge, which leads to action, which leads to more knowledge of the Lord, getting to know God better and better. So you need to actually live out God's commands in real life to continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. But as you do so, you will grow in knowledge and maturity. And this begins this virtuous cycle where the more you serve the Lord, the more you come to know him. And so the better you can serve him and the more you can know him. And it just goes on and on. But there's also an implied warning here. You can hit a dead end. You can't grow in knowing the Lord by simply sitting in the library all by yourself and reading books about him all day long, but not actually putting the truth into practice in your life. There's a difference between simply filling your head with head knowledge and actually having heart knowledge. A difference between the knowledge of demons who, it's true, demons know a lot about God and they hate him. And the knowledge that tastes and knows that the Lord is good and trusts him and loves him and delights in him. And it is this knowledge that we grow in by putting his word into action in our lives. And you see, so you see that the two go together. Of course, we grow in knowledge by studying God's word. But there is wisdom, there is understanding that is gained only by actually obeying that word and walking in the way of the Lord. So walk pleasing to the Lord means bearing fruit and growing in the knowledge of God. And then third, we see in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I hear you see that in order to live a life worthy of the Lord, a believer needs not only to know his will, to seek to do it, but you also need the strength in order to obey him. And that's what Paul prays for here. Living a life worthy of the Lord is a high and holy calling. It's not easy. And so Paul prays for divine empowerment for believers. This is what Augustine meant when he prayed in his confessions. Grant what you command and command what you will. He's recognizing that we are not necessarily capable of keeping God's commands in our own strength. But he will give us the strength that we need. 
What kind of strength do we need? Is it just a little extra? Just top me off, Lord. I can get there most of the way on my own and just give me a little extra. No. Paul doesn't hold back here as he prays for strengthening with all power according to God's glorious might. And it's worth taking a minute here to meditate on the glorious might of the Lord. This is his almighty power by which he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. This is the same power with which he sustains and upholds the universe at all times. Ordaining and overseeing every detail so that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from his will. Paul describes this power in this way in Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And so we pray that God would empower us with the same almighty power with which he raised Christ from the dead. And so we know the encouragement of Isaiah chapter 40 is true. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Paul prays that God would give strength for a life pleasing to the Lord. And in particular, he prays for all endurance and patience with joy. Paul here is talking about persevering and holding fast through sufferings and trials. And rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. And he is sure, he is certain that sufferings and trials will come for the believer. And scripture says that there will be trials. That persecution will come if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Romans 5, 3-5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And so God will strengthen you with his glorious might to endure through the trials that he brings into your life. And this suffering it will actually produce in you hope, strengthen you in your eternal hope, so that you might rejoice in the Lord as you look forward to the glorious inheritance that is yours to come. That brings us then to the fourth characteristic of a walk pleasing to the Lord, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. For a believer, giving thanks is not optional. And rather, this is absolutely necessary in the Christian life. Because we have been saved by grace. It is all of God's grace, nothing of us. And we continue to depend on the grace of God, even as we are constantly depending on the Lord's help in prayer. And so there's this pattern of 
asking for the Lord's help, and also then giving thanks to the Lord when he has answered our prayers, when he has given that help to us. So there's this cycle. Because the Lord answers prayer, there's always more things to thank him for. And so our hearts are to be constantly overflowing with thanksgiving to him. But if you aren't sure where to start, Paul gets us started right away by giving us a few examples. That brings us to our third part this morning. Give thanks for his great salvation. If you look closely at verses 12 through 14, you could say technically speaking, grammatically speaking, Paul himself may not actually be giving thanks here. He's simply describing the God we give thanks to. And when Paul uh, just, he mentions God, he can't help but describe, this is the God who has done this. Let me tell you about it. But as he describes the wondrous work that God has done for your salvation, these are reasons to pour out your heart in thanksgiving and praise. So Paul, he gives three descriptions of our salvation here. And all three of them, in all three, he's drawing on the language, the imagery of God's great Old Testament work of salvation when he delivered his people out of Exodus, out of Egypt in the Exodus, and he brought them into the promised land. So first, he says, we have the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, when God brought his Old Testament people into the promised land, he gave each tribe and each family an inheritance, a physical plot of land in that land flowing with milk and honey. Now, in order to qualify this, for this, you needed at that time to be able to trace your descent from Abraham. You needed to follow the law of Moses. You needed to be circumcised on the eighth day. But the book of Hebrews teaches us that the promised land, it was only a shadow of what was to come. It was always pointing beyond itself. Abraham was seeking a better country, a heavenly one, a city whose designer and builder is God, Hebrews 11.10. And that's what Paul is talking about here. This greater inheritance, not an inheritance in this present world, but as he said in verse 5, this is a hope laid up in heaven, an inheritance in the new world to come. But the only qualification for this is to be a saint, to be made holy through faith in Jesus Christ. Now later in the letter, Paul will warn, Aaron was already hitting on this earlier in his introduction to one of, one of the hymns, later Paul will warn about false teachers who were seeking to add additional requirements to the gospel. Colossians 2.18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. And he goes on about all these additional requirements they were adding to disqualify the Colossians. But Paul's main message in Colossians is that Christ is supreme and he is sufficient. And through faith in him, you are qualified to receive this inheritance. And he says, you are among the saints in light, brought into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. So give thanks to God who has qualified you for an eternal inheritance. Second, he says, give thanks for he has delivered you. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Here Paul is describing our salvation in terms of a rescue operation. 
delivered out of the domain of darkness, then transferred into this kingdom of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ. The domain of darkness is Paul's way of describing this world under sin, under the power of Satan. It is your former way of life when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, hating God, hating others, destined for God's eternal wrath and utterly incapable of doing anything to save yourself out of it. It's only by the incomprehensible mercy of God, his pure grace, that he plucks us out of the dominion of darkness. He raises us up to new life in Christ. He brings us into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. As Peter writes, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. Again, we see that this is drawing on the imagery of Exodus. When God rescued his people out of bondage in Egypt, he brought them into their inheritance in the promised land. And here as he describes Christ our King as his beloved son, it's an echo of the commendation he received at his baptism. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3.17. And so Christ He has ascended. He is reigning from heaven until he puts all his enemies under his feet. He is our Lord. He is our King. And so we give thanks for his mighty deliverance. The third, we give thanks also for his redemption. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I hear Paul speaking of our deliverance, our salvation in terms of redemption. And sometimes we take This word, redemption, it just sounds like another big Bible word. It's just another synonym for salvation, but this is a very particular word, a precise word with a particular meaning. To redeem means to set a slave free. And the price paid to set him free is called the ransom. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said in Mark 10.45, and this is Jesus saying, this is why I have come, this is my mission. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, Jesus came to be the sacrifice who would set off a second exodus, to set many free from bondage. He came to die that we might be set free from slavery to sin and death. Just as the Israelites sacrificed a Passover lamb so that they might be delivered from the death angel, and then go free from their slavery in Egypt. So Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, he laid down his life that we might be redeemed from our sins, set free from death, and given the gift of eternal life. And so Paul writes in the parallel passage to this one, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1.7. What a glorious redemption we have in him. And it is reason to give thanks to God every single day. We've seen what Jesus does for our salvation. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask the question to all of you who are here today. Have you received this great salvation? Christ has died to redeem you, to grant forgiveness of sins, but you must Forsake your sins. You must trust in Christ to receive this great gift. 
If you trust in him today, he will set you free from the dominion of darkness. He will bring you into his kingdom of light. He will grant you an eternal inheritance. And for this, we give him thanks and praise, and we will praise him forever. This morning we've seen how Paul prays for the Colossians. It's an example that shows us how we ought to pray for spiritual growth. Pray this for yourself. Let us pray it for one another, that we might know God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we might walk in a way that is pleasing to him. And we saw what this life that pleases the Lord looks like, bearing fruit and good works, growing in knowledge of the Lord, being strengthened by God and his almighty power, and giving thanks, overflowing with thanksgiving. As you pray for these things, let this also be a guide for your steps as you seek to know the Lord more, as he has revealed himself in scripture, as you seek to please him in all that you do, as you cultivate a heart that gives thanks always and in everything. And as Christ has promised that our Father will answer the prayers of his people, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Our God gives good gifts to his children when they ask him. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this is our prayer that you would continue to grow us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have brought us to yourself, that you have granted us the new birth and brought us out of darkness into the kingdom of your Son in light. And now, Lord, continue to renew our minds granting us an increased knowledge of you and of your will, that we might walk in your ways and serve you. Help us to daily deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow after Christ our Savior. And would you give us the strength to face every trial you bring into our lives. Help us in every way to serve our brothers and sisters, our neighbors around us, and in everything we do, to seek your glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.